0: Morning. Welcome to Grace Church. Um, As Rosa says, my name's Rick, and I thought I'd start today. uh, We could get to know each other a little bit better. I've got some fun number facts. Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) No? Okay. Um, I'm going to give them to you anyway. In seven days' time, Cheryl and I will have been married for seven years. (laughs) Ooh. Fun number fact. All right, (laughs) backfired. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Another fun number fact. I have two children, the eldest of which is two and three-quarter years, the other is two and three-quarter months. (laughs) Ooh. Exciting, isn't it? It has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. (laughs) So was fun. Um, this morning, we're continuing our series uh, in radical welcome, and uh, particularly picking up from where Roger uh, left off last week um, as he looked at welcoming one another, biblical community. Um, today, we're going to get really, really practical as we discuss welcoming into our homes, uh, being hospitable. Uh, if you have a Bible, can you turn to uh, 1 Peter chapter 4? Um, I'll read from that in just a moment. Last week, Roger wonderfully examined the Greek word Philadelphia, which as he rightly pointed out has nothing to do with cheese, but it does mean brotherly love, which is the basis of our welcome of one another. If you've not heard that message, do check it out online. You can find the whole series there. And this brotherly love is right at the core of what the Apostle Peter's letter to the church here says too. Because Peter, even in uh, chapter 1, verse 22, I'm not going to read it, uh, he uses the same word, Philadelphia, brotherly love, as he describes the purpose of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, which was to win brothers and sisters to himself, to call us into relationship with God. Peter then encourages those who've received Jesus' brotherhood to in turn love one another earnestly. Or if you have an NIV, it says, Love each other deeply. And he talks about a whole load of other stuff in the letter, but he picks up this same thread in chapter 4 of deep, earnest love. So I'm going to read from verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift The theologian Wayne Grudem, uh, commenting on this passage, describes the, the word that we have here as hospitality in verse 9. He describes it as the practical expression of the earnest love mentioned in verse 8. Say so that again hospitality is the practical expression of earnest love. When we welcome into our homes, we are practically applying love. A similar thought's in Peter's mind as he writes in verses 10 to 11 about the different grace gifts that God has given each of us. Although he says, um, just as God's grace is, these gifts are varied or multifaceted. But for Peter here, they can fall into two camps. Gifts of speech and gifts of service. You see, just as welcoming into our homes, hospitality is a practical expression of love, so service is the practical expression of speaking the gospel. Which is the gospel, really, because Jesus spoke the good news of the kingdom being at hand, that he, the king, had come, but he also served. He washed the feet of the disciples. He went to the cross. He spoke and he served. And now we, filled with the spirit of Jesus, are encouraged by Peter to do the same to the glory of God. As we welcome into our homes, as we practically express love, so we wordlessly speak the gospel through acts of service. And welcoming into our homes can can take many forms. You know, it could be just a cup of tea, coffee for me. No, thank you for the tea. (laughs) Or it could look like letting people live with you for a while. But in the life of Jesus, we see that sharing food actually plays a particularly crucial role. He lunched with leaders of religion. He dined with a diminutive con man. He told parables of parties and feasts to illustrate what a relationship with him might look like. Right at the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 20, as he extends that same relationship to us, he says, I stand at the door and knock. That's knocking on the door of our our spiritual homes, our hearts. And his promise is that if we let him in, he says, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. Some here may never have opened the door to Jesus. Let him into your heart. Well, he's knocking at the door. He's here today. He wants a relationship with you. And when we do receive him, this Eating together, this communion that he describes, suddenly becomes a spiritual reality. And what's greater is one day there will come a day when that becomes a physical reality too. As he promised on the eve of his crucifixion, as he broke bread and drank wine, he said that all who believe in him, in resurrected bodies, will eat and drink with him in the new kingdom. Dining tables are on the decline in our culture. The family dinner is fading. But we are called to share food face to face as the body of Christ, looking forward to the great banquet that he has prepared. But I recognize we're all at different life stages. You know, we have, we have different incomes, different accommodation... But these two are, the, are the varied uh, gifts of God that, as we've seen in verse 10, we are called to steward. It's a bit like the parable of, of the talents in Matthew 25. To one person is given five talents, five coins. To another person, three. To a third, one coin. Each is expected to use their gift, regardless of its spending ability, to serve the one who gave them the coins in the first place. What God has gifted you with you are to use to welcome others into your home. I don't care if all you can offer is beans on toast on your grandmother's hand-me-down kitchenware in your grotty shared accommodation. We've been there, haven't we, Ali? Yes. (laughs) These are all gifts of service for us to use. Perhaps you got married, you know, and, and you graduated from granny's grubby old plates to a fine set of crockery. Use it. Bless other people by getting out your best tableware. Show them honor. Slight word of caution. Don't be so fancy that you scare people away. If Cheryl and I are coming around, we're very clumsy. Don't get out the Royal Dalton. It'll only make us nervous. We went with Denby in the end. You know, pretty but also hard as nails. So, <laughs> Recently with two kids, it's been less common that we get to go out. But this has actually led to us being treated to new forms of hospitality. On a number of occasions now, people have called us up and say, hey, we'd love to hang out tonight. Any chance we can come round and order us all a curry? Yes. <laughs> the answer is always yes. <laughs> For the record, my favourite curry, lamb sarg. Do with that what you will. <laughs> Seriously though, God might have gifted you with finance. Cash. Bless others with it. We can all show hospitality regardless of our life circumstance. Whether you're sharing baked beans, your best bowls, or a beef booner, Peter says, do so, without grumbling. Practically love one another, and the church will be built up. Our vision as a church is to be a disciple-making community where people can know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference in this world, And that happens here on a Sunday. We've seen examples of it already this morning. But true community of discipleship happens in our homes. The book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 6, it's rehearsed the law. And then it says, teach these words, teach the law diligently to your children. And talk of them when you sit in your house. Discipleship paired with parenting here is an ongoing process that happens day to day in our lives, almost imperceptibly welcoming others into our homes can look like inviting people around to watch TV and as we discuss what we've seen and how it makes us feel and how it points us back to Jesus well our lives in Christ come to the fore we can hardly avoid it disciple making is a whole church vision too So it's key to have those who are different from us in our homes. Paul, um, in uh, 1 Corinthians 7, he describes each of our relationship statuses as our own gift from God. Your relationship status is a gift from God. And a gift to be used for service, for discipleship. So if you're married, invite those who are single to come and hang out so that they may see what Ephesians calls the mystery of Christ and his church acted out in your marriage. If you're single, invite whole families to lunch and bring those whose interests are divided into your life of devotion to God alone. We are given gifts to serve. Gerald and I have a, a history of lodgers who've come and stayed with us sometimes for weeks. Sometimes months, sometimes... Well, once, actually, just once. Maybe do it again, but once, a whole year. And honestly, in those times, I didn't think too much day-to-day about about reflecting the profound mystery of Christ and his church in my marriage. But I did notice that my life was on show. How, How I related to my wife, how I parented my kids, how I resolved conflict, how I spent my time, my money... Indeed, how I welcomed others into my home. Um, It was Katie Pollard, if you know her. She lived with us for a whole year. um, And we had a bit of a running gag with her uh, every time that Cheryl and I argued in front of her. Which is, of course, never. (laughs) Hardly ever. Um, But if we did, we'd turn turn to Katie and say, Katie, you're in a very privileged position getting to see this. (laughs) which is, of course, a joke to dispel the tension, but it's also true. You'd have to ask Katie herself to see how much it actually benefited her. But but the um, the reality is that when we get to see one another's dirty laundry and see, too, how we allow Christ to clean it up, that's discipleship. That's practical love. The Bible lists hospitality as a qualification to be an elder. One of those called in our church to have their lives examined and imitated by others. Those looking to live life according to Christ. We are to be examples to one another in our homes. In our homes, we learn to love one another as God's very grace guides us. We encourage, teach, forgive, as it says in verse 8. We challenge, celebrate, and gift one another in the model and strength of Jesus Christ. In September, it will be 11 years since I moved to Nottingham, which, and frustratingly, uh, September is 14 days away. I was really hoping it was going to be 11 days away, and I have another fun number fact for you. <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> but it's 11 years since I moved to Nottingham. And I still remember my first Sunday. I was looking for a good church. I assumed all the big ones must have decent teaching. I was looking for charismatic worship, so what you saw this morning, that was one of the things that really drew me here. Um, But after one day at Grace Church, only my second in Nottingham, I never went anywhere else. Because Steve Towler, now at King's Church Birmingham, after church that morning, invited me back to his house for lunch. I remember exactly who was there. Andy Wiles and Phil Priddy. I don't remember what we ate. It could have been filet mignon. It could have been baked beans. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's not important. What is important is I was brought immediately into the local family of God that I would then be part of for the next decade or more. Hallelujah. I ended up living in that household for the next three years after. Steve actually did our wedding address. And it began with hospitality. Now, I have a terrible confession to make right now because I've been practicing this preach, and it's been nagging at me, was that my first Sunday? Because <laughs> I think all the points still stand, but now I think about it, I think it's actually the second one. <laughs> uh, <and> the, <laughs> so I'm just clearing my conscience, because uh, I actually think the first one, I came and I was so nervous about trying to get back to this bee's ton that I lived in at the time, having been in Nottingham a day, I was like, no, I can't go to anyone's house, stop inviting me. So, you know, that's my conscience cleared, but it's also an extra point for you. If you are going to have people around, make sure they know they can get home and you're not abducting them. (laughs) Top tip. (laughs) It will be September in 14 days' time. Students and graduates are going to move here, as I did. Our challenge is are we ready? Have we signed up to adopt a student? Are we prepared to invite people to lunch, as Steve did, just at the drop of the hat? People who are new and people who have been around for months that maybe you've not got to know. John 13 says, By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. As we show hospitality, as we practically love one another, the world sees Jesus. The context of our passage today, and in fact the whole letter of 1 Peter, is about the church under fire. In verse 3, Peter describes the sinful behavior of those outside the church and says in verse 4 that they are surprised when you don't join them in the same behaviors and they malign you. Peter answers this this maligning in verse 8. The response is love one another. Don't get caught up in a community of sin, but instead demonstrate the community of love, the church, through hospitality. Speech and service proclaim the gospel. We tell people the ra- of the radical welcome of Jesus with our mouths and with our actions. My next-door neighbor, Ray, uh, he, he's constantly astonished by the church. He's not been here on a Sunday yet, but he knows about the gospel of hospitality. See, he's retired, he's a widower, and uh, so he sees all of our comings and goings, all of them. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> he's always seeing the amount of people that come round, and then the amount of times we're out. You're never in your house, you. (laughs) There was a point (laughs) when um, Lottie Rubiak, who goes to the 9 o'clock, had been round to our house so often that Ray's just was like, who's that girl that works for you? (laughs) (laughs) You know, the one with the glasses, comes and works for Cheryl. That was the only explanation. Why else would someone who's not your family so regularly let themselves into your house, make themselves a cup of tea? I said, Ray, we are family. There are lots of ways to be hospitable too, that, to be generous. Around the time uh, Cheryl and I, would to tell, our second baby, our car broke down. It breaks down a lot, and I quite like public transport, but when you're having a baby, you really need a car. <laughs> and... Thank you, Jesus. We were blessed with three cars that we borrowed from within the church. We also, when my son was born, were given many freezer meals to keep us going. Ray couldn't believe it. He's like, you've got some good friends, haven't you? Yes. (laughs) Five years ago, when we moved in, uh, Ray found out we were Christians. Oh... Oh, you're not the type that knock on doors, are you? <laughs> no. <laughs> he was totally closed to the church. But as we have loved and been loved, practically expressed in hospitality, so the gospel of service has opened doors to a gospel that we speak. Got one more anecdote for you. Cheryl's and my very first, I'm sure of this one, very first hosting experience was not successful, was not good by any standard. We'd just moved into our house in Snenton, and not the good bit of Snenton, but it was all that a part-time phone salesman and student could afford. We had very little furniture, the walls that were good were bare, the walls that weren't were falling down, and our oven had no markings on the dials. (laughs) They'd all been rubbed off by previous tenants for whatever reason. But, you know, you you, you stand next to it, and you turn it up, and you, ah, that's the sound of a fan. We'll go to this one. That's a click. Yeah, that's probably the light coming on. (laughs) When Jack and Alain arrived, you know, we went to serve up the lasagna, which we discovered hadn't been cooked at all. (laughs) We'd just been blowing cold air at it. (laughs) The corners of the sheets, you know, curling up. Um... (laughs) Useless. So the evening began with me and Jack frantically Googling the make and model of this oven. Also impossible. Dad rubbed off two. <laughs> so we, eventually we found it. A lot of trial and error. We managed to work out how the oven worked. We got a Sharpie. And as far as I know, the oven in 22 St. Christmas Street is still like it. Got a Sharpie and drove on that oven so that we managed to get it to preheat and cook. Hours later, <laughs> we ate... This is not good hosting. But Jesus does not call us to be hosts, but hospitable. Jack and Alana, they, they felt so welcomed into our lives, warts and all, they almost didn't know how to respond. For weeks and longer after, they gave us gifts, gig tickets, they were like, thank you for letting us into your house with a broken oven. (laughs) Alana later became our first lodger. She lived with us us for a month, we didn't charge her. This was six years ago, and she and her family have never forgotten it. We even got a free holiday to Spain out of it, (laughs) which is great motivation, but not really the best news. (laughs) Because the best news was when, after she'd moved out, gone back home, Alana started going to a church. Attracted by the acts of love, she investigated the truth about Jesus. She was impacted by a gospel that spoke and served love that was both earnest and practically shown through hospitality. We'll finish soon, but before that, can we welcome Cheryl to the stage? You see, I'm, uh, this is my wife, um, I'm, I'm an outgoing, extroverted type, um, and uh, you know, whenever Cheryl asks, hey, can so-and-so come around for dinner, or such-and-such can come and live with us for so long, yeah, sounds great, of course. But I wonder if some of you are sitting there thinking, I'm not as extroverted as that, and the concept of having people in my home all the time sounds terrible. Here's Cheryl. <laughs>
1: I remember this during the 9am service Um, that was actually told to me by one of my husband's friends the first time I met him. And it is my favourite story of Rick hosting. So this is probably the first time you ever hosted, because you just got to uni, and first time had his own room, and he met a guy in his halls and was like, hey, come to to my room, we're going to have some lunch. Rick cracked open two cans of baked beans, handed him a spoon, and they sat and ate cold baked beans on a bed. Um, And yeah, that was Rick's first experience of hosting. Now, Chris told me that um, probably 10 years after that happened. Um, And a similar story. He ended up being one of Rick's close friends. He ended up doing an alpha course and made some kind of commitment to the Lord later in his life. Um, And it all started with a kind of cold baked beans. So if that's the max you can do, you're fine. And the Lord loves it when we step out in faith with things like that. So, um, as Rick said, it's really easy to hear Rick talk and think, well, those guys are just really natural at hosting, and they find it really easy, but that is not what I think when I hear him speak. Maybe you're sweating in your seat (laughs) thinking about it. Well... I'm an introvert and Rick is an extrovert Um, so whilst we do both love spending time with people um, and we both love talking I used to be a nurse and I used to joke that I became a nurse so that I could be paid to speak to people all the time Um, I find that exhausting actually and very draining whereas Rick finds it invigorating and life-giving to spend time with people Um, now they are broad terms um, and there's obviously a spectrum within each personality and I do find it much easier to speak to people on the whole than Rick does But it's fair to say that I find my energy by being alone. And he finds his energy by spending time with people. So if you imagine your dream week, if you could just do one thing for a week, my dream is to see Rick and my kids, obviously. Um, Mostly, sometimes not. Um, And then maybe two people, and that is it. I want to see three people in a week, and one of those days, I walk alone in the peaks. I don't speak to anyone. It's silent, there is no music, and I just walk by myself. And the British part of me probably has to say hello to the people that walk past me. You know, they're like, Morn, morning, mm, mm, that we do. Because I'm just a little bit too British to not do it. The pain is too much. But other than that, that's the max I want to do. So the idea of lodges wasn't always super fun. But we want to live a gospel-centered life. And the gospel is not one of comfort. The gospel is of sacrifice, and it's of love. So wanting to live a gospel-centered life means that we want to open up every part of our lives to the people that God has placed in our life. Um, I learned this, especially in my teenage years. My mum is very, very introverted, much more so than I am. I think she's like a week alone all of the time, didn't see anyone. Um, But growing up, our house was full of people all the time. We welcomed in friends, we welcomed in the fatherless. We used to have people come and stay in our home that we didn't know that were fleeing abuse. And that is because our place, our house, was known as a place of refuge in our community. Um, Our carpets were stained because teenagers are messy people. Um, There was actually a hole in the wall in our kitchen for about five years from when my sister Becca, who goes to the Narnia meeting, one of her friends leant on the wall too hard and his arm went through the wall. Um, And that stayed for years. Um, But it was known as a place of refuge in our community. And that meant that when we were first married, we wanted to show love to the people in our lives. We were skint. But what we had was a roof and a very, very deep-seated desire to eat food all of the time. (laughs) So that's what we did. So through trial and error, we figured out how we could open up our home without burning ourselves out. Now, at some points in our lives, that has looked like a year-long lodger. But before Katie moved into our house, we set up a very strict contract. And some people thought, you know, that's a bit overkill. But we detailed that Friday nights in our house. So our house... It has a lounge diner and a kitchen. That's the whole downstairs. So we've got one room. And it meant that on Friday nights, the lounge was a no-go zone for Katie so that I had time to recharge and reboot and we had time together. But what that also meant was that the other six nights of the week, we could spend time with Katie, we could eat food, play board games, hang out, watch TV, um, and enjoy each other's company. And I, full stop, would not have the capacity to have a lodger in my household without that because I need that time alone and that's fine. At the moment, as Rick said, we have two young kids. I care for those two full time, which means that my capacity for hosting is really diminished. And it's very easy for me to just retreat back into myself and not see anybody and use my kids as an excuse just to, just to be comfortable in my own home. But we have to prioritise in our life hosting, and we've had to learn that we need to prioritise that. Hosting doesn't happen accidentally. You don't accidentally invite people into your house. Even spontaneous hospitality has to be planned. So we regularly discuss and plan how at this phase of our life, we can host people in our house. Um, Now that does look different for everybody, and it is different in different phases of life. Previously, we used to make slow-cooked meals on a Sunday so that we could meet people at church and say, oh, hey, come around for lunch, and spontaneously invite them into our house, when in reality, I've had time by myself that week, I've recharged and rebooted, we've got food, we've put it in the cooker, and it means that when they come around, we welcome people in to our home from a place of joy and happiness and love having them there, because we're ready and prepared to have them there. At the moment, this means welcoming people into mess in our house. So our nearly three-year-old leaves toys everywhere. Our kitchen is very rarely clean. And there is currently baby sick on our carpet. And we discovered yesterday our wall. (laughs) It's like, what's that? Oh, it's just sick. Dried on sick on the wall. So that's what our house looks like at the moment. So our slow cooker meals have been replaced by a personal favourite of mine, which I'm very, very good at cooking, The fish finger sandwich. (laughs) And that's what we have. And that is totally fine. Hospitality means allowing people into the mess. It means stepping over used nappies before you can even get into our front room. So my encouragement to you is to look at your God-given resources. What's your physical ability? What's your personality type? What's your room like or your house? If you don't have the space to host, have you got a friend who you can do it with together? Look and plan the way you can love and welcome people into your home. It isn't going to look like me and Rick, but when we love authentically using the gifts that we've been given, it reflects the kingdom of God and his radical welcome of us into his kingdom. And you get to eat food.
0: Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and him with me. As we welcome one another into our homes, we act out the gospel we demonstrate the good news that Jesus has come to us. That God has come to us in our own form. As we open our doors, we are reminded of the open invitation to know the Creator as Father. As we let people settle onto our sofas, we echo that by His death, resurrection, ascension, and pouring out of His Spirit, Jesus has made his home with us. And one day, we will see him. And we will eat with him. Right now, we're going to take communion together in anticipation of that great day. And as we do, as we share in the body and blood of Jesus Christ, by his spirit, he will come to us
1: just as he's promised.
0: Would you like to stand?